Hello, and welcome to my first attempt at making a podcast. This is Heidi Cullinan. I got my ideas for this first podcast from my Patreon group, which we will talk about more at the end, as that's my final topic for this podcast. We are going to talk about three different things. They're very hodgepodgey, just suggestions from my patrons as to things I could talk about. And that is a good place to start, I guess. First, we're going to talk about the book group. The book group is an idea I got from Beverly Jenkins, who hosts a book group about once a month where they go through her back catalog. They, about once a month, just discuss one of her books. I probably I don't want to always do my books. Um, I am. We started actually with one of Beverly Jenkins' books because I talked about her so much. That's the book you guys chose when I said, "What book do you want to start with?" Um, my ultimate goal for May was to do my upcoming book, Short Stay, but because it is a continuation of the Love Lesson series and incorporates part of the special delivery series I asked people if they wanted to do a review first and they said yes and we'd like to do one book per week until we get to short stay so that means we are reading three books in the special delivery series five if you count Hooch and Cake and the 12 days of Randy which maybe we should and then we are also reading the three books of the Love Lesson series, which would also include Frozen Heart, which is a very short story, which I think we can easily just tack on to Love Lessons. We're going to try to do these about once a week until we get to short step. We're going to begin this Friday. I'm going to start putting questions on about noon my time. We're going to put one question up every hour or so, and I'm going to make sure that I space it out so that I do some on Saturday morning. What that will mean is we have different questions landing at different times so they're new for somebody in their ideal time zone because we have people interested from literally all over the world so it's just not possible to say oh we're all going to meet at x time and talk. We're going to try this like long weekend approach starting on Friday going through Sunday so that people can keep coming in. If that doesn't work, we'll adjust accordingly. The questions themselves will all be book club type questions. So they're going to be like general, like what did you think of the story? Like what were your favorite parts? But also I'm going to try to give some more like what does this like if there's symbols we can find, um, anything like that. I'm also totally into suggestions for questions. If you've already read the book and have something you would like to submit, you can email them to me at Heidi at HeidiCullinan.com or you can submit them to me as a direct message on Facebook. I'm down for anything. I'm going to try to come up with about 10 or 12 and... One of them will definitely be, you know, is there anything that you didn't like or do you have any suggestions or something you always wondered about? I don't want it to be that you can't say anything negative about the book or my writing just because I'm there. Um, That's not how I roll. And every book is, nothing is perfect. 
and I'm always down for hearing suggestions. So I look forward to talking with you about special delivery starting this coming weekend, which is the 29th through the 1st, 29th of April through the 1st of May. I am now on to my second topic, also suggested by my patrons, which is that they wanted me to talk a little bit about volunteer work that I have done in the past, particularly with LGBT and youth issues. I have had in my bio since the beginning a little note that I have liked to do volunteer work, particularly with One Iowa. I have not actually worked directly with One Iowa for some time, and that's for a lovely reason is that they don't actually have much to do right now because we have marriage equality in not just Iowa but the whole the whole country. They are working on securing full LGBT rights. That's a big push right now. They're working a lot with GSAs, but there's they don't have the kind of need that they once did for lots and lots of foot soldiers. When I first started volunteering with One Iowa, we had just moved to Central Iowa from Eastern Iowa and that meant that we were really close to Des Moines. The more I worked with writing LGBT stories, the more passionate my belief came that we should do work to help make sure that marriage equality and rights for LGBT people were secured. Um, I we had been volunteer, well, we had been donating, excuse me, to the human rights campaign for I forget when we started, but it was in the early 2000s possibly but a little before we had been donating for years but then once we moved here we were close enough to one Iowa that we could physically go and offer our support we went down to a the um, pride parade in Des Moines and um, Anna was really little we took her she was a little bald-headed toddler we put her in a little rainbow dress and she had Dorothy's rainbow slippers that she loved and that was when she learned that if she dressed up and was cute gay men would give her lots of presents at pride and she milked that for a long long time because we went to pretty much every pride after that she also fell in love with the princesses and she was too little for us to explain the princesses were actually boys but she loved them all the same and eventually a couple of years later got to watch several up close and that she has always loved drag queens ever since at that pride pride we one iowa went around with a clipboard you know asking for names and we put our name down because we're like yes we would like to help and at that time this was pre-2009 which is the year that um Varnum versus Bryan went through the Supreme Court and gave Iowa marriage equality. They needed people to make phone calls. They needed people to sit in booths. They needed people to do all kinds of just little things that don't seem like a lot, but matter a lot when they're looking for bodies and they can free up their trained volunteers to do much more aggressive things. Um, we also participated in lobby days, which is when we would go to the U.S., uh, the U.S., excuse me, the state capitol, and we would get appointments to talk to either our legislators or any legislators that they felt could be moved by a conversation with actual constituents. Uh, the, this was the one downfall was that I live in a very democratic neighborhood in a rather democratic city, and so most of my, all, all my legislators were actually quite 
in favor of everything we were lobbying for. So my conversations with them were pretty short and easy. Other constituents had a little harder time even just getting heard and seen. But it was a cool experience to have done. And I liked taking Anna because I felt like it taught her that doing these sorts of things are important and also got her into her state capital well before any school trip took her. So when she did go, she's like, yes, I have been here and I worked with my mom for things that were important to me. It also helped instill in her the idea that all these protections were an important thing to fight for and helped her see them as normal, which led to when she was in kindergarten arguing with an aide over whether or not boys could marry boys because she had seen it. And she, in fact, had by that point because that was post-2000. Actually, no, that was earlier because it was like 2006 or 2007. And what happened was when the first the first judge overturned the law saying prohibiting marriage equality friends of ours got married but didn't quite get a chance to file the paperwork before the stay was enacted but Anna was present at that wedding and so she remembered it in the in the time before the Supreme Court case came down I did lots of um, media training with Lambda Legal I met Camilla who okay I almost said Parker Bowles that's the one in England Camilla, I can't remember her last name, but she's, she was the lead attorney on the case, and she was amazing. She was a wonderful speaker. Um, I named my first iPad after her. She and her team did a lot of explaining to us what they thought might happen and what we would do if each incarnation of the outcome happened. And the one we didn't really prepare for was the one that actually happened, because everybody thought it was the least likely they thought there would be some kind of like they would kick it back or they would do some sort of limited thing nobody saw the unanimous decision that we got with for full equality immediately so there was a lot of wasn't a lot of door knocking there was a little but it was mostly making sure that every time something big happened everybody who cared was aware and talking to the legislators. Once the Supreme Court decision came down, for the first um, couple sessions of our state legislator, that we needed to make sure that they didn't undo it. That was a lot of phone calls. That was a lot of showing up at the state capitol. This also led to Zach Walls' speech. Um, at the Iowa State House, which was amazing and launched him into a whole new direction that he ever thought he would do. I was actually on the floor, scheduled to speak, and never got to speak. Um, well, I got to watch him, like, right in front in the same view as the camera, which was great. Um, there, the thing with Iowa was they, they chose us for a reason, to be the pioneer in the Midwest. Iowa law and Iowa... Iowa's constitution were very specific in that it's very difficult to change our constitution and any amendment would have to take two consecutive different to make any change before then we would have to vote on it as Iowa citizens, which meant when they first enacted it, the very first chance they would have to have a vote would be in like 2012 or 2013, I forget which it was. So every legislative session that we could keep them from having a vote to move forward meant they had less chance of of advancing any kind of repeal and amendment to the constitution we came close a couple times 
to advancing a little in the amendment process, but never any real danger. And now no one is trying because what they knew in from their research and why they chose Iowa as their one of the places they wanted to try for a case was they knew that the more time passed the and people saw there was no ill effects from same-sex marriage they would not try to advance they would not try anything to repeal it so nowadays there's really not much defending it's more advancing again and there's been a lot of leadership change at one iowa and they have more subtle focuses um right now the bigger effort is iowa safe schools they're trying to make sure that they have they that they have a good presence in schools they're trying to strengthen gsas and network to make sure that they have a good voice in the legislative session they also have a governor's conference every year uh, which came under fire last year because of some controversy which was largely drummed up by the family leader which is sort of the uh, american family call i mean it's it's one of those conservative joints that basically exist to hate gay people which is an amazing thing for quote-unquote christians to do but nevertheless it's what happens and my support now is different at first it was because i was sick and now i have just i'm doing other things um we are now licensed foster parents and so we help in that regard um we have made it known that we only really want to take in LGBT kids, especially teenagers, and that is a very underserved population. We also have been doing more donating. Um, we donated to YSS last year, which is Youth and Shelter Services, which is here in Ames. We donated to Avenues for Homeless Youth, which is a shelter mentioned in the Love Lesson series, which is a real place, and it's very worth your investment. They um, are not part of the foster system but they do help teens and young adults especially lgbt find homes in the minneapolis area um, they do host home family things which you will read a little bit about in enjoy the dance which will be coming out later this summer a continuation of the dance with me series and just i guess our our outreach is different now um, our volunteering is different more of our money than our time um, but we do try to do some time when we can we also are tr always try to keep an eye out for s uh, social media campaigns which sound like they don't do a ton but they actually do I mean when there's the pressure on a legislator it changes things they do help they they just help raise awareness they help make people realize different things that they could be focusing on um, and so that's where more of our volunteering is now it was a lot more active when there was an acute need um, it's hard what you learn in volunteering with these sorts of things is it's really difficult to coordinate people 
and move them in a specific direction. It's it's not it's not unfortunately you can't just show up and do good work it's you you have to work within a system and you have to have leadership in place um you have to have an engaged community you need to have clear goals and with with so many things about lgbt rights advancing so quickly it's sometimes difficult for all the machinery to keep up i think um we are a lot more interested in focusing on youth now than we ever have been and I don't think that writing my books is necessarily activism, but it does help with awareness and it keeps me connected to all kinds of people. And I do know that there are, there's youth that it means a lot to because they write to me Um, and adults too, frankly. So that is where my volunteering is at the moment. The last subject that I'm going to talk about in this podcast is my Patreon group, which I mentioned at the beginning. The Patreon group is something that I started last fall, inspired by Amanda Palmer. She had started a Patreon and it had, in in traditional Amanda Palmer style, had done very well very quickly. And she talked a lot about one day how she was nervous about her birth of a child and what it would mean to her creativity and her post spawned a post from me and somehow in the way those things go this all became me wanting to do something similar in my own work um and initially i thought i did it as like late at night and set up the patreon and then went to bed and woke up and thought well that was silly i should go delete that and when I went downstairs there were already people signed up so then I felt like well I don't know that I can and before I could figure out how to extricate myself more people had signed up and eventually I thought well I guess I'm in this now and we'll give it a try Um, I have really enjoyed it I enjoy interacting with my readers more directly there's plenty of places I can talk to readers directly but there's something about this small group and it's it's really interesting to have people make specific investments in my work. I had a brief moment this spring where first it was going to help for one thing and then it was going to help for another and now it just it's just a sort of another buffer to help me get started with self-publishing projects. Um, My publisher Sam Hain is in a long and complicated process of closing sort of probably I don't fully understand it I'll admit Um, but basically everything has changed for how I produce books and Patreon is a way for me to help recoup some of the upfront costs that go with self-publishing especially because I choose to self-publish in a way that is pretty much identical to if I were publishing with a publisher Um, I'm using a lot of the same artists um, the cover artists um, editors proofers they're all people that I pay market value and more for and also um, recording I'm recording audiobooks so it just helps with some of that and largely though it's just it's fun it's not really about the money to me um the money is definitely nice but what it is 
is a great way to talk with a very specific group of people who are excited and invested literally in my work. And um, we have done giveaways. We have done um, now a project because Short Stay was written explicitly for them at their suggestion with their ideas. And um, they refuel my creative engines. They um, help me in ways that I don't even know how to describe. It's all sounds, I feel like I'm make, making a Hallmark commercial or something, but um, it's, I, it's just really worked out for me. And I encourage any creator who is interested in giving it a try, um, just, I would say, don't view it as a money-making scheme, but more as a creator connective scheme. They didn't name it um, patron, Patreon for, by accident. Um, the idea of having a patron for your art is so old, it's, we forget its actual origins. But I feel that way about the people who invest, even when they're investing only a dollar, because basically they're saying, no, whenever you produce something, I want to contribute toward it. I want to just have that established and, and, and waiting, because I believe in you and your work. And that, that statement from at every pledge level is is really powerful to me um it means it just it, it's the connection it's i don't know how else to describe it. it it's it's something i didn't know that i was missing until i had it and i'm definitely not getting rid of it if i ever end up producing with a publisher again i will always keep at least some things for patreon because it's kind of my little playground. I call it the clubhouse a lot, actually. So that is the story of Patreon. And this actually winds up my entire little podcasting debut. I hope you enjoyed this. I think mostly it will be the Patreons listening to it, but it is now out there. And please, patrons, tell me what you think in our little thread that we have going about this. I will talk to you all soon and take care.